Al-Jazeera Podcast. Hundreds of rescued migrants want to get into Italy, but the government won't let them off the boats. How will the new right-wing prime minister deal with the standoff? And what responsibility lies with the rest of the European Union? I'm Darin Abogeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guest. Joining us from Rome is Cecilia Sotilotta, who's an Italian political analyst and assistant professor at the University for Foreigners of Perugia. In Reggio Calabria is Hermina Poshman, who's a humanitarian activist and member of Mission Lifeline. She was involved in a rescue operation in Reggio. And joining us from Florence is Valerie Fargione, who's a professor of politics of European integration at the University of Florence. Welcome to you all. Thanks so much uh, for your time with us on Inside Story. I'll, I'll start off with uh, Hermina Pochman and Reggio first, because from what I understand, you are with the crew from the German-run Rise Above Vessels, which entered Italian waters uh, over the weekend. First of all, can you tell us about the conditions of the migrants and refugees on board and, and how many there are? So, yes. So, as you can see, I'm uh, in front of the vessel Rise Above that uh, was allowed to enter port um, this morning. And all our guests um, that were still on board, it were um, still 89 guests, um, we could disembark uh, without any problems. And um, so now we don't have any guests on board anymore. And um, But in the last days, the condition of uh, them went really, really bad. So it went um, completely critical. We had to evacuate for medical reasons at least six persons because they collapsed um, on board of our vessel. And... Um, Yes. Tell us what, what led to was. tell us tell us what led to the moment that everyone on board was allowed to disembark. Because from what we understand from some of the other vessels, only women and children have been allowed to disembark, and the men were not allowed to. We have uh, until yet no information about this. Um, we got yesterday the first contact from uh, the Italian authorities, and they told us uh, we can go to the port of Reggio Calabria. Calabria, sorry. And um, but it was not given as a port of safety and uh, they were not given any reasons why we could enter this port. So um, we were just happy that we could enter the port and that the people were immediately disembarked. OK, and once the uh, the refugees and migrants disembarked and entered the port, just give us a sense of uh, where where they go to next and what sort of services and facilities are available to them. So um, here at the uh, port, at the pier, there were um, some medical organizations, there were police uh, on scene and uh, everybody was checked and also checked for um, injuries. And uh, afterwards, they uh, um, were took by two buses and went to a a, a gym or something in this way. Um, And uh, now they have shelter there. I have no information about the conditions inside. Okay, thank you so much for that update from Reggio. Let me uh, go over to Cecilia. So uh, we've been hearing from uh, Hermina that 89 people from from the vessel that uh, that she is connected to have been allowed to disembark. But the fact is, you still have at least two other vessels uh, stranded at sea where the men so far are not allowed to disembark. How do you think the standoff is going to be settled? Because Rome as you've been hearing, insists that the countries whose flags these NGO boats are flying, they should bear the responsibilities for the migrants and refugees. And the NGOs are saying that Italy is breaching international law by keeping the migrants on the ship. 
Yes, absolutely. I think that um, what you just said is correct. I think that these uh, sort of uh, theory that the uh, Minister of Interiors of Italy uh, put forward about the fact that uh, the uh, uh, the states of uh, the ship's flags basically should uh, be cooperating is not doesn't really find any basis in international law. So I think that they, uh, the NGOs in this sense are correct in claiming that uh, Italy at this point, uh, with this uh, idea of selective disembarkment, uh, the idea that um, the other states should be cooperating before people are uh, put in a situation of safety uh, is actually uh, breaching international law. Uh, so I think, I mean, um, um, the standoff will find a solution, I think, as it happened with many other uh, similar situations uh, which occurred in the past few years. Uh, I would just like to add that, um, I mean, we, we are devoting much more attention to this situation now, but actually even in the past months when, uh, you know, under Mario Draghi's watch, um, we witnessed several um, ships, uh, you know, standoffs. Uh, so it took days uh, before, um, in, in many occasions, before um, um, the so-called migrant ships were able to, uh, were allowed to disembark their um Okay, you know, I'm glad passengers. you bring up Mario Draghi because I'm going to come back to you a little later and, and um, just put to you what he said uh, earlier this year when it came to the Ukrainian refugees. But let me bring in Valerie. Uh, uh, Fagione in Florence for just a moment. So uh, the charities, the NGOs have denied uh, circumventing procedures and they say that it's their duty to protect people that are in distress at sea. But as we know, the new Italian government has campaigned on a hard line migration policy. So for the new prime minister, is she just carrying out the promises that she made to her voters? So I guess that's what she's doing. I'm extremely disappointed with what the Italian government is doing, but I'm also disappointed with the European Union. Unfortunately, the issue of the migration is an issue which is unresolved at EU level. So, um, I mean, the Italian government is not behaving well, I think. Actually, I'm ashamed of being Italian right now. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, the point is that the countries on the Mediterranean obviously face uh, a burden when it comes to migration. And this burden cannot be only handled by the countries that are uh, facing the Mediterranean, which is Greece, Italy, Spain, or Cyprus or Malta. And if we look at what the, uh, I mean, the legal basis of EU action uh, are, and look at what the uh, Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union says, Definitely, we see that it's a shared responsibility, but it's not just a legal issue. Uh, if we look at the legal issue, then we would have to uh, mention Article 78.3, uh, which says uh, of the tr of Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, in the event of one or more member states being confronted, I'm reading the article, an emergency situation characterized by a sudden inflow of nationals of third countries, the Council on a proposal from the Commission may adopt provisional measures for the benefit of the member states concerned. But still, this is not such an emergency situation if you look at the numbers. And this is the point. Uh, this is a situation, if we confront, if we compare the numbers of what's going on, it's not such a huge number of people. This is not a big crisis as the current government is pretending, but it's for political reasons, because this, this issue, migration, polarizes public opinion, and, and the government is trying, sort of, it's a, 
I'm going to use a hard term, a, a distraction from big issues, because we're talking about a few hundred people. And in fact, uh, for the other ship, uh, it was only 34 people that were left on board. So we're putting up an enormous fuss. Right, Valerie, but people. let me ask you this. I mean, this issue of migration has been a burning political issue uh, since yes. at least 2014. Um, when there were a lot of migrants turning up on European shores. So to what extent did that fuel the rise of both the League and Meloni's Brothers of Italy party, which is now a right-wing government in place? Yes, definitely. It's a political... As I said, the issue has been politicized. If we look at long-term interests of Europe, we need more migrants. And this is something that we're completely overlooking. So it's, it's just... It's a, it's a mass distraction on the issue, but the, the, the real problem is that in Europe, we do not have enough workers to take care, for instance, of our aging population. So we actually need more migrants. But in fact, it's not just in Italy, also in other European countries, we have the rise of right-wing populist parties. And, and for them, migration is an issue where you can focus all of the attention so that you don't really look at what the problems are. Okay, let me now, bring in Hermina for a moment, just for the sake of time. Hermina, over to you in, Re in Reggio. Uh, Italy's government adopted a measure recent recently formalizing the closure of its ports to rescue ships that are run by humanitarian groups such as yours. Uh, do you expect a wider crackdown on NGOs? And if so, how is that going to impact your work? So actually, hopefully, um, this will not happen because this will be a step back to the year 2018, where exactly the same happened. And uh, as we all know, there were a lot of uh, trials and cases uh, on court. But in any case, uh, so the NGO side um, got right and did nothing wrong. So we are acting completely with the law. And um, I cannot imagine um, that something like uh, like humanitarian aid will be criminalized in this way. And uh, hopefully it will not happen again like this. Uh, Cecilia, we keep talking and, about the right-wing government that's, in, that's currently in place right now and the anti-migration policies. But does this incident um, uh, signal a step back for Italian authorities? Or is this new government simply resurrecting policies that we've seen implemented in the past? For example, in 2018, 2019, you had that, that closed ports policy implemented by the then interior minister and far-right leader Matteo Salvini. Yes, absolutely. The policy has been consistent over the years. And I will even add that, in fact, the current sort of framework that Italy ad adopts for the management of migration, which is um, geared towards a securitization of migration, like treating migrants as a security threat, was something that was introduced before even Salvini was in government uh, by a democratic party that is center-left uh, government, right? So technically, things haven't changed that much so in, in terms of framework. What, uh, of course, as the colleague in Florence was, was saying, what, what changed and what is changing is sort of the instrumentalization of these issues. And I would add to the previous question you asked, I think it's it's very important to consider that, again, we are witnessing this kind of uh, war being waged against NGOs, but even blocking NGOs wouldn't solve the problem. Uh, if you look at the figures, like how many people arrived in Italy in the past 10 days, uh, I think there were like about 9,000 people arrived uh, to Italy's shores, um, and actually only one about 1,000 were on board uh, NGO ships. 
right? So um, uh, waging this war against NGOs wouldn't even um, start to deal with the problem if we want to call it like a problem. Okay, Cecilia, here's the thing. Valerie was saying a moment ago that this could be a way for the government to distract from the domestic issues that are going on in the country. I mean, do you agree with that? Because as we saw in the election, the main issues for voters were the rising energy prices. It was inflation. It was Italy's policy towards Russia and Ukraine. But at the same time, the prime minister and the parties did campaign on a hardline anti-migration platform and they've been elected into power. So do Italians expect a hardline policy when it comes to migration? No, I agree 100% with the colleague in Rome, up there in, in Florence. Absolutely. It's a diverse, like it's kind of a diverting the attention towards a fabricated problem. Because in fact, uh, even Italy's electorate, I would say, was and still is very much worried about the cost of living crisis, energy, uh, war, etc. And uh, but, but at the same time, migration has always been a highly controversial uh, issue. Uh, so it's very convenient right now for the government. I wouldn't even say that this is a test for the government. Uh, quite the opposite. It is very convenient for Italy's government right now to be able to talk about migration uh, rather than explaining to the country how they're going to deal again with the cost of living crisis, what, are, what, what the plans are for the future in terms of, you know, security, vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis the um, Russia-Ukraine war, etc. Okay, let's bring in Valerie and Florence. Um, I know this, is, this could be a bit of a general question, but how much support do you think, how much public support, Valerie, do you think there is in Italy for a harder uh, migration policy? Well, I think we, first of all, we should remember that only 26% of, uh, of those who went out and voted actually voted for Meloni. And although, okay, we have a, a center-right or, or extreme-right government in, in power, but that doesn't correspond to the majority of the population in Italy because there were 16 million people that simply didn't go out and vote. So we should remember that a lot of people in Italy are not actually supporting the current government. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's due to the electoral law. And actually, if you look at the importance of uh, NGOs in Italy, and especially of the Catholic Church, you will see that a lot of people are, in fact, in favor of a different approach to migration. Okay. And Eurobarometer has a very interesting uh, survey that was made about a year ago, and that shows how perceptions can sort of be even wrong. And what what out of that uh, Eurobarometer survey is that a lot of people in Europe thought that the, in the presence of migrants in their own country was much higher than it actually is, and which means that there are problems with the perception. So the issue is politicized, and it depends what is the message that the political parties are uh, handing out. Okay, let me just uh, jump in, to, in there for the sake of time. My apologies. Hermina, from what you've seen on yeah, the ground, sure. how much hostile has Italy's policies towards migrants and asylum seekers become in recent years? Well, so um, at least it has a really uh, big impact, and um, the people when you're when you're at sea outside, you can see the people are really really suffering and are in immediate danger of life. And it's uh, also if they are kept on the ships, um, like yeah, 
like hostages, I would say, um, it is a horrible scenario that you can see and the people are really, really suffering. And I think it's an absolutely no go that the politics um, are deciding about uh, the decisions on the ship, uh, about the people on the ships right. um, that were just uh, from, a, from a distress case. Uh, Cecilia so. in Rome, you were mentioning Mario Draghi at the beginning of the program. So this is what he said earlier this year, and I'm quoting, Italy has welcomed refugees from Ukraine with open arms. More than 85,000, mostly women and children, have sought shelter from the war in our country. Italians have thrown open the doors of their homes and of their schools. We will not look the other way. I mean, the, you know, a lot of people say the double standards here are really, really glaring. Is it a certain type of refugee then that they want to be allowed into Italy? I think it's it's a it's absolutely evident to anyone, right? That there's a double standard there. Uh, why are we treating, for instance, Syrian refugee asylum seekers and Ukrainian asylum seekers differently, right? And we also saw certain things that we wouldn't have wanted to see uh, on the, uh, for instance, an European border with, with Ukraine, where, for instance, uh, Ukrainian citizens uh, who were not white were rejected, for instance, right? Or to be they were told to go back to the end of the queue and they were not being let in. So I think there is absolutely there is a double standard uh, in, in this in this sense. Uh, and actually Meloni played and also Salvini during the electoral campaign in Italy, they were using this a lot. They were saying, for instance, that those who come, um, the those who cross the, Medi the Mediterranean uh, on board ships, they're not real migrants, right? Like or real refugees. The real refugees are, for instance, uh, Ukrainian ones, right? So this kind of narrative, um, I think, is very dangerous. Like sort of discriminating be between who is an actual, you know, a good uh, refugee or uh, who is is not. I think it's it's very very tricky. Right, uh, Valerie. Um, what is the role here for European countries as a whole? You were, you were mentioning the responsibility and where it lies just a moment ago. I mean, we saw European countries uh, come together and share responsibility when it came to Ukrainian refugees, and rightly so, because a refugee is a refugee at the end of the day. But when it comes to people coming from other countries, what is the role of European countries? And, and how do you get them to share that responsibility with countries like Italy, for example? Yeah, uh, well, my answer is that unfortunately, right now, uh, the majority of European political leaders are very short-sighted. So they're really concentrating on short-term issues and very often on following the next elections. Uh, so it's very difficult to have a long-term strategy. And this is what we're missing in Europe. Now, Africa is right in front of us. It's the continent right in front of us. And we seem to be ignoring what's going on in that continent because we keep pushing our own agenda. For instance, uh, digital transition a priority? Is digital transition a priority in the case of Africa? Maybe we should consider what's actually going on in that continent. So, for instance, we're talking about 9,000 people over recent days, but we should be considering that in the case of the African continent, you have internal displaced uh, so-called displaced persons, uh, internally forcibly displaced. We're talking about millions. Uganda has 1,500,000 refugees in its own territory. So the size of what's going on in Africa is so much bigger than what comes over to Europe. And if we don't understand that it's in our own interest and in the 
interest of the African continent to approach the issue in a different way, I think it's really going to backfire on us. Right. So will Italy, is, let me ask you this then. Will Italy's tough new approach divide EU members? Because following uh, one of the vessels that entered the Italian waters, Berlin denied any responsibility for the ship, that vessel flying under a German flag. Berlin saying, we have nothing to do with this and Italy should be the one to allow rescued people ashore. But then you heard from Hungary's Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, who said that, quote, we owe a big thank you to Maloney's government. We're very far from solidarity. Solidarity is what written is what is written in, in, in our treaties, we are very far from solidarity. And the point is that solidarity is also in our own interest. So what we're doing right now is, uh, from my point of view, it's not in the interest of Europe, the kind of uh, approach that we're taking to the problem. And the fact that we're not supporting a country such as Italy, because it's clear that Italy cannot take all of the responsibility for what's happening. But we should also be aware that migrants are coming into Europe, even from other parts of the world, not just through the Mediterranean. This right. is just a small minority of people that are coming from the Mediterranean. Okay, Cecilia, final words to you, if you'd like to comment on what Valerie was saying. Uh, we have about 30 seconds left on the program. Yes, absolutely. I think that the big issue here is uh, the short-sightedness, so to speak, of the uh, political elites in, in Europe. And we really, and the, the ironic thing, just to conclude, is that now Giorgia Meloni is rightly calling for more solidarity from the EU, but actually uh, the uh, leaders of the, which, which are against that uh, across the European Union are precisely the nationalist leaders that are also considered to be he, her, to be her sort of political allies and counterparts, like okay. Orban, for instance. We'll so we see another there. paradox there. On that note, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thanks to all my guests, Cecilia Sotilota, Hermine Poshman, and Valerie Fargion. Thank you so much. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ng, Nihad Al-Abadi, Fungi Nguyen, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Eli Elhani. The program was edited by Andre Oosthuizen, Lin Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Wednesday. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we meet the spark of the civil rights movement in the United States. Rosa Parks took a stand by sitting down, but that's not all she did. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts.